1: everybody and welcome to another episode of imagine this i'm trent
2: i'm brashina and i'm mackenzie
1: and today we have a pretty special guest with us um hallie we're gonna kick it over to you and let you just introduce yourself tell people a little bit about, bit about who you are and what you do
3: absolutely thank you guys for having me this is so exciting uh feels like a family reunion a little bit um <laughs> so i'm uh i'm a multi it up in new york um Right now, I'm mostly focusing on playwriting and producing, but I'm also an actor and uh, and I do sing and do musical theater from time to time. But right now, everything is so kind of producer and, you know, writer driven that it's like whatever you're making next is what you're making next. And. I'm currently developing a few short films as well. Uh, Just doing what you can up here in New York where things are still very much re-emerging into post-COVID reality and post-COVID producing reality and uh, open calls, uh, which basically no joke used to be you'd line up in front of audition buildings and wait at 3 a.m. and Uh, go in and audition for a tour. Those are kind of not happening anymore, I think, for the best of everyone. (laughs) But it's not what it used to be, and that just means that things are slower and it's taking a little more time. But I am more excited than ever for what's about to happen, which I think is a real renaissance of new work and reimagining old work uh, and just more of that. And I would love to just talk with you guys about kind of making it happen across the country and what it looks like in both places and get your brilliant minds on all the on, on all the tea.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yes. I love that. And I, I think that if you go back to the very first episode we ever recorded, one of the things we talked about was why theater is essential. And part of that conversation became coming out of COVID, coming out of this mm-hmm. pandemic, Theater is more essential than ever because it is reigniting passions and it's telling stories that need to be told and it's bringing people together in creative and collaborative ways that should be sparking conversation. And so Mm -hmm. I think that you're exactly right, that we are on the cusp of something in our artistic culture um, if we can just keep pushing that envelope forward.
3: Yeah. Absolutely
1: So one of the things that's cool Is Hallie actually reached out to us We all knew her previously She's a Baylor Theater alum Um, She reached out to us After hearing the podcast That Mackenzie and I recorded About musical theater So one of the starting places For today's conversation Is her wanting to get in on that action Because that conversation Resonated with her Sparked something in her to be like I have something to add to that conversation. Let me add it. So I'd love to just get kind of your gut reaction to that episode and what resonated with you most kind of through that conversation that Mackenzie and I had.
3: Um, My gut reaction is just I can't believe that we're still talking about it, but I'm glad we are because it, it really kind of wasn't a conversation back Oh, however many years ago that I was in Waco, (laughs) you know, Um, I think it was a danced around conversation for a long time, but no one quite knew what to say or how to say it. And still it's a bit tough to really tackle what it is. But more than anything, what it is, is just a lack of a lack of wanting to take a risk and a lack of people wanting to invest in something that is different than what we've seen. I was really riled up by the conversation on body diversity that you guys really kind of dipped into. Uh, it's, it's a real shame that musical theater is kind of the most visible, you know, gives the most visible examples of this, um, just real deficit of kind of possibility in the form, but it's happening up in New York too, I guess, is what really kind of riled me up. I was like, yeah, this isn't just happening, you know, in regional spaces, even though I think in regional spaces, sometimes it can be even more, you can see it more because there's almost less, the you know, there's less theater than what New York is because New York, you got like all the different levels of off-off Broadway and off-Broadway and workshopping and developmental and et cetera, et cetera. And then there's, of course, Broadway. And, but it's a real shame because even up here, people are kind of, even post-COVID, dipping back into the familiar. Um I think right now it's like <laughs> it's a sad number but like over 90% of the musical theater uh work that's on Broadway right now is like adapted from movies and I I was looking up an article and uh forgive me I can't find it I've been looking for it all morning but uh it was about there's like less than 10 plus size you know, not, not size zero actors on Broadway currently in leading roles or something like that. And it's like, it's really just, it's disheartening, but it's also invigorating in terms of like, we need to, we need to keep talking about it so that we can do something about it. And I think it also really comes down to the writing. Uh, Writers need to just give more space for, you know, give more space for interpretation and inclusivity in the character descriptions and also producing teams absolutely need to just be just be intentional be really intentional and be really forthright and driven about making something happen it starts with each little team and then it builds into a whole bigger you know level of visibility so that's where i'm at with it but i i would love to hear you guys on it as well yes No, I (laughs) it's so funny because I just
2: started following the um, I think it's Broadway body positivity um, page that's on Instagram and um, TikTok. Um, And it's been really encouraging to like watch that creator go through her journey as a plus size actress. Um, And even myself, like in terms of like body diversity and then also racial diversity, um, this is a conversation that I've been. Like trying to push as many people forward on as I could um, since also since I was in college as at the same time, because we were hearing a lot of the things that we have, a lot of the conversations that we have about like type and that sort of thing are very dated. They are all based in very old stereotypes that we don't have to adhere to. I think some of the most creative projects I've seen have been where people go, well, why does it have to be that way? And find a way to do it different <laughs> and and a, lo- a mm-hmm. lot of times better. So there's that's really my question all the time is like, why does it have to be that way? And if it's just because, well, that's the picture I see in my head, that's not enough for me I need to know <laughs> I need to know not that just that you're copying someone else's work but that you actually have a thought about why this is cast the way that it is um and I I kind of am like going through a a personal journey on that front because I'm in rent right now and I'm playing Mimi and that's a role I never thought I would play um <laughs> because I'm a fat actress and act fat actresses just don't get cast as Mimi for one reason or another and it's been the best journey to like go through getting cast as it and then like on on the actress side of like dealing with the personal you know repercussions of being like oh I'm cast in this oh I'm cast in this and I have to like I have to reconcile a bunch of my own fat phobia that has been you know internalized and like deal with that in a way that makes sense and it's been great because I've discovered a lot of things about myself and it also was like very in a very affirming um process because I had always said that I wanted to play these types of roles and I was like I just need somebody to give me a chance to play these types of roles and now I have that chance and I'm killing it so
1: yes he
3: is <laughs> oh my god so I was over the moon when I saw that casting because one you're hot as hell and two like I, I just I it's ever that's exactly you deserve it and yeah. audiences deserve it for god's sake like we gotta fuck we gotta yes. see this shit yes. sorry can I no hope no I- yeah no I- thank you're you. fine I love
2: it I love it <laughs> And that's you're right, audiences miss out on so many interesting performances because we adhere to these dated ideas of what casting should look like for musicals and, well, a bunch of things, but in mostly musicals as well. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to ask you about it if you didn't bring it up yourself. It It's insane. And to touch on something Hallie said, acting like – Casting in an inclusive way is risky, mm-hmm. is insane to me. Mm-hmm. But, like, but you're exactly right that that's how people frame it. And yet, like, I sat in the, I, I'm directing Rant. Like, I sat in these auditions. I cast Pristina as Mimi. Like, they're, br- it was obvious. Like, <laughs> that is done. <laughs> done. But what's crazy is, like, and we, me and Mackenzie talked about this, that people sit in casting rooms and are looking, as Brashina said, for the person who's filling like the picture that's already in their head. Mm-hmm. But when you approach casting that way, you're doing the show a disservice, you're doing the actors a disservice, and you're doing the audience a disservice. Mm-hmm. Because the best version of Rent that we could have put up included Brashina as Mimi. And it's insane that someone who doesn't fit this size zero stripper picture in someone's brain is determining who gets to play that role, whether or not they're the best person in the room who auditioned. And that is just crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Mackenzie, I'd love for you to weigh in on this, because I think not as drastically as Bristina has experienced with Mimi, but last year you played The Witch and into the woods. And I mean, vocally acting wise, like 1000% you were the correct choice again, but you wouldn't have been cast as that in a lot of productions because of your age, right? And so how we interpreted The Witch allowed for that to work, but it required a willingness to look outside of the box of how traditional approaches to that show works. And yet I think it inarguably made it the best show we could have put up. So I'd love for you to chime in as a different perspective of someone who was cast, not necessarily about body, but about age, which also plays into this conversation somewhat, I think.
0: Yeah. Um. So I turned 22 the day I was cast as the witch. Yes. Um, <laughs> and obviously I was like, Trent, I'm 20. Bernadette Peters age. I'm not Meryl Streep, obviously. There and there was like there was never like any like ever talk about me playing a Meryl Streep or Bernadette Peters switch because like that was just never gonna happen. I'm, I'm 20, I'm 23 now. Um, and so that really forced us to um like take a step back from What like has been solidified as this like iconic character in musical theater and this like iconic show that everybody knows Um, and to like reevaluate it and approach it from like a different lens which like we I think we did with the production like as a whole. But like specifically with such like an iconic character I think that it allowed me at least a lot more freedom to not necessarily fit the mold that Bernadette Peters created so many years ago and it allowed me a lot of artistic freedom to make different choices and so. um, I found that to be really interesting. And it, 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 yes, like the witch's whole bit was that she wants to be like young and hot. But like in this production, it went from like, I went from being like a very like put together, um, I'm going to say politician woman to like being just my favorite word, unhinged and very just like, for lack of a better word, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word loose. Um, and just to be a little bit out there. Um, and so that that just created a whole new and different character arc that I think added um so many different like layers to the story and might have made the character um slightly more well definitely more approachable for me, but like more appro- more approachable for like younger audiences um. Yeah, because, like, I have been told for years that this was a role I was going to play once I aged into it, and I was like, all right, we're counting on the days, this isn't it yet, but, like, I'll get there one day. Um, and then it happened, and I was like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun. And,
1: and well, speak. Yeah,
3: go ahead, Oh, Halle. sorry. No. <laughs> Well, speaking of aging into roles, so that's actually first off, um, I swear I didn't just come on this podcast to to toot you guys' horns, but I will. <laughs> you guys, casting and uh, story choices are some of the most innovative I've seen recently, and I, you know, I look everywhere, so that's hats off to you guys. But speaking of aging um, into a role, um, yeah, not too long ago. It, and Brashina, you can definitely speak to this too i'm sure but like when i was in university and studying i was told hey so you're gonna play mom and older lady roles and you have boobs and that's why i wasn't told it but it was very clear Mm -hmm. and you know it and not only does that lead to very serious you know and going back to what Brashina was talking about leads to very serious mental you know gymnastics that you got to suddenly untangle over your life a little bit. I'm still working on it. I try to intentionally as a writer, write myself leading lady roles or romance roles, just to kind of convince my actor brain that like, no, you can do this, like Mm -hmm. go do this so that you get this so that you can know you do this. But at the same time, I think it does a disservice to traditional ingenue type, you know, uh, actors and actresses, because it makes them only think, Hey, you're getting, Hey, You're young and hot and guess what? Soak that in, soak Mm -hmm. it up, get your jobs now, you Mm -hmm. know? And I know dancers talk about that a lot, but it's, but it goes into acting too. And then also it makes you, you know, in McKinsey and kind of what you're talking about, it makes it, and excuse me, tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like, I think it can make ingenue types think that's all they can do. Or, hey, you gotta like, you know, cookie, cutter what you got into it it minimizes your what you think you can do and that Mm -hmm. is so unfair and actually part of what I also try to do as a writer and a producer now is like take uh quote unquote traditional ingenue type actors and be like hey so you're gonna play a really mean or messed up or like I don't know like grungy dirty character if you know what I'm saying and they just get they get the like hope in their eyes and then they get the like yeah but like really in their eyes and I'm like yeah we're doing it go and we're gonna we're gonna make this happen and we're gonna work together on it and you know to try to tailor make a suit for someone is always a joy as a as a writer and a producer I'm not a director so I can't speak to that um but it's just the mental gymnastics we just got to do more of it because we don't kick because of this conversation has not been kickstarted for us mm-hmm. and it's a real shame it's a real real shame but yeah the the aging aspect is a wild time especially now um for me being in new york it's like i'm working with slightly older actors very older actors, slightly younger actors, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds. There was a girl who auditioned for a musical I'm developing that came in and (laughs) it's kind of funny, but it's like we you know it deals with very intense mental health kind of conversations and mature subject matter-ish that I would like a prefrontal cortex to 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 deal with and not Mm -hmm. quite younger. But this girl came in and she was like, she looked probably 27. I was like, this is fine. And then she was freaking 15. And I was like, we're not, we can't cast you. (laughs) But I was like, oh my God. And I felt bad, but I was just like, not used to that. But anyway, I I don't mean to hop around too much, but.
1: No, I I think you brought up some good things. And I, you know, I Mackenzie and I touched on this and I said it last time, but I end up on the end of the spectrum where I get typecast as like a romantic lead or like the nice guy. I just have like a nice face. I literally had someone like in the last few weeks be like, you would be such a good Christopher Robin. Like, that's my type. Right. So like, that's where I get cast by people who have those mental pictures walking into a show Mm -hmm. so it affects all actors and to me the usefulness of type is only knowing what your type is so that you know how those producers and those casting people see you Mm -hmm. like that is the usefulness of type is you should know how you're perceived by other people but it should not dictate then the path that your career takes if it's not the one that you want for yourself. But it's important. I think it's important to know, but only for knowledge's sake, not for any Mm -hmm. other reason, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love, Hallie, to hear a little bit about some of the, you've alluded to some of these projects where you've learned these lessons or written these types of roles, but I would love to hear a little bit specifically about the work that you've been able to do in New York and how that's impacted your artistry. And you do new work, which is what we spend most of our time talking about. So I'd, I'd just love to hear a little bit from you about why that's where you spend your time and creative energy and some of the successes you've had or lessons you've learned. Let's just, let's hear a little bit about Hallie Platts's life in New York.
3: Oh Lord. Uh, well, it's a doozy. It's a lot of fun. It's, uh, probably it's, it's the best creative decision I've made for myself and, and I've been lucky to be able to, to have a life up here. Um, I got into new work. I've always wanted to do new work. I was always a writer as well as a performer, but I didn't really know it would kind of take the form it's taken. I I just my I'm at my best when I'm making something and then and then having a little moment of translating it, I suppose. It's like the building and then the translating. I I love living in those spaces. I also like kind of making small business decisions and in the creative process. So I've been very lucky to come up here. I'm a part of a collective uh, called theater 68 shout out. Um, And they're basically a collective of artists that we meet once a week. We workshop scenes kind of a la workshop back at Baylor. We do Mm -hmm. scene work. It's wonderful. And we critique each other kind of like the actor studio type of, set up, but it's incredibly collaborative and it's incredibly empowering because we use language like I would like to see instead of I didn't like or that was bad, you know, it's, it's uplifting because the real world is cutting enough, we don't need, you know, we don't need the kind of, (laughs) we don't need to be torn down when we're learning. And so that's really kind of changed my outlook about what it means to collaborate. I was lucky enough to find a director in there named Lauren Winnenberg, who's become one of my best friends, but also, you know, she's my other creative brain and she and I worked on Well, we do work on developing all of my work and all of her work. Cause she's also a writer. She kind of does everything. She's one of those theater people, but <laughs> pre COVID, we produced an off Broadway show of actually my Baylor thesis called a real bitch. It went through a lot of creative changes since the thesis time. And we produced it off Broadway, which was insane. Um, It was a part of a theater festival that uh, took, it's still going on, but um, we've kind of separated ourselves from it since. But we had three performances um, right, no joke, January, 2020. And then I jumped into a two person show with Lauren at the helm as director. that took place in February 2020. And in both of those, one of those instances, I was working with a gentleman who it was his story, so that I didn't have casting, it was just me and him. But in terms of the play itself, A Real Bitch was kind of the first go round with, okay, we're in New York, we're gonna, you know, post onto backstage. (laughs) We're going to figure out like, we're gonna really see new people and we're gonna invite them in. And um, at that point we were looking for three actresses of color and we got just an incredible sleuth of people come in and it was just an amazing experience. We just got to, we got to create with actors and we got to really just like tailor make it. I mean, I know I use this phrase a lot but like tailor make the suit for them and then we put it up, COVID happened. It's been a bit of a, you know, <laughs> it was just hard. I kind of got stuck in Texas. And then recently I've just gotten back into casting again for a musical I'm writing. Uh, and it's about the mental health kind of journey I went through in COVID. And it's called How's, which is my nickname, but it's not a, it's not about me. It's more of a kind of a mental exercise of like going through the different thoughts and you know, ups and downs and sensory integration dysfunction, which I happen to have. And uh, it's an ensemble piece though. So uh, I don't, you guys are probably familiar with A Strange Loop Mm -hmm. and kind of that setup of it having the thoughts, quote Mm -hmm. unquote. Um, We're kind of playing in that pool and it's basically 15 ensemble members. And then uh, there's two characters that play the that played the embodiment of one person which is me and so I brought in a actress from a real bitch who has incredible comedic just chops she's just one of her name is Francesca Salas and she's just one of the funniest people I know and her and I are playing myself and then the ensemble has just been a joy to create so we've been kind of working on that over the past year but we wanted we wanted anyone and everyone we could see And there weren't a lot of parameters. There wasn't a lot of like, okay, you know, this is a stock character that's got to be the lover. This is a stock character that's got to be the mother. Like, there's none of that. It's more just like, what different kinds of tones can we play with that people already bring? Which is how I wish more shows kind of operated because I do think some of the best shows that we know that have iconic characters started that way, Rent being one of them. Mm -hmm. Like, it was more just like, I have three friends who all three kind of give off a, you know super sexy, you know, boisterous attitude. And then it became Mimi. Mm-hmm. Like it became this one thing that now we see. But it it started out as like three villagers, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> who probably didn't look alike. And so that's what we've been crafting with Hal's. And we actually to to speak on Priscina. You mentioned uh, Broadway bo- uh, Broadway body positivity. The mm-hmm. account we were so we were we were blown away because uh, I don't know if you guys followed the Fat Ingenue on TikTok Instagram. She came from Philadelphia to audition for us. We had no idea, <laughs> and she's in. Her name's Lexi Schreiber, and she's just the most incredible person and she just came in and she just she brings herself and her she's hilarious she's also su- got a super sweetness about her and that's all we you know that's all we really needed like she comes in just killing it with her you know technical chops and that was just it we just were looking for whatever we could create that would make the world we were going for which is funny and dark and kind of crass and playing in the pool of shows like A Strange Loop or Passing Strange, which is another one of my favorite musicals, which also does a thing where actors are kind of playing the world and different, you know, side characters and stuff. And um, we ended up with just a sleuth of different body types, different races, different sexualities, different gender identities. We ended up kind of certain and i'm i promise i have a point with what i'm about to say so we we ended up circling it around fem you know fem presenting identity but that became because there is one part of the ensemble that is kind of represents some some how do you say it like romantic trauma <laughs> that i've experienced and um i am bisexual and i wanted to kind of play in like male presenting, but with uh, feminine energy. And so we've been, so we were very intentional with that part. And we kind of were looking around and there's a, there's a few actors that I've reached out to who actually have kind of talked about what we're talking about, where it's a uh, male identifying actors or male presenting actors that are like, you know, I'm never the leading I'm never the romantic interest. I'm never the leading man. I'm not seen as sexy. I'm not seen as this or that. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're plus size build. Maybe they're not, whatever the case. And I've reached out to a few of those guys and I'm like, hey, like, I just want you to know that I am considering you for something exciting. Because it matters to be vocal about that. It matters to say it. Like, even if you can't promise anything in the developmental process, whatever you're doing, and that is hard because new work changes overnight. You know, we didn't know it was gonna be all fem, you know, fem energy-centric ensemble work until it happened. And then we were like, shoot, it's happening. Like now, okay, make note, moving on. But at the same time, like, it matters to say it, to let, you know, folks out there know that (laughs) you're seeing this is happening, you know? there are, there are, we are out here working towards something for you to look forward to. That's been the most exciting thing lately. Um, and I try to, I, you know, it's something that I'm really, really, really working on with anything I write, but also working on with just looking at any play, looking at producing another person's play. I try to push it too. Um, I am that person that's the annoying person, you know, whatever, annoying, who cares? But like, I am a little annoying where I'm like, okay, but have you thought of maybe, you know, opening this character's potential up? Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> some people don't like that. But uh, again, I think it's just very important to make sure creative folks out there, actors especially, know that there's someone, there's someone speaking to it, you know, behind the scenes when, when, when really like going to the, traditional auditions or going to Broadway auditions, you know, they're probably not feeling it. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah. No, I yeah. mean, it's, it's so exciting to hear about what you're doing. Like <laughs> to think we went to school together. That's crazy.
3: <laughs> it's crazy. Well, <laughs> you're, you've been a huge freaking inspiration to me for a long time. So sorry Aww. if I talk too much, by the way, I've been known to do that. You. No, no, you
2: don't. It's a podcast. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, But it's, it's great. And I, I loved you talking about the the aspect for men as well, because, like, we honestly forget a lot of that in this conversation, too. And, again, like, while I was at school, um, a few of my friends and I in the department, we used to just, like, sit around because we were playing mom roles or we were playing, like, geeky, nerdy roles. And part of that, like, came into um, one of my friends who was at Baylor at the time was – an Asian man and we used to like sit around and have conversations about like why he was not being considered as like a romantic lead when he clearly could do it like and it was a very hard journey for both him and I to like come to the conclusion that like we're just not romantic lead types at least not here we'll get to do those one day if we do them ourselves and so like that was our big push after college was to like find those roles for ourselves or make those roles for ourselves and do them ourselves. Um, and we always promised each other that we would be in a show together and we still haven't done it, <laughs> but we're on the hunt. Um, so it, but it's like having to go through these conversations with men and women and non-binary folks and trans folks and different minorities, Asian people Black people, Hispanic people, this is, Latina people, this is, this is a conversation that reaches so many that it really, it really shows how exclusionary theater can feel sometimes when we start really getting into the nitty gritty of it. Um, And I don't think that we're, I think that it's good that you are a person who is bringing up these conversations because we need more people to be bringing up these conversations in these spaces. Like, I am always so encouraged by the guests that we have on our podcast because a lot of them talk about like diverse casting and why that's important to them, writing diverse stories and that sort of thing. And I, I wish that I could see our influence more on theater and film and TV because we really, really need it. So I, I love hearing about your work and I'm very encouraged by seeing the
3: stuff that you're doing. So good on you. You're doing a great job. Dude, you, you're so kind. It's, I think theater's behind and it's, I'm really Mm -hmm. hard on theater because I actually think we're like kind of the worst at it. (laughs) I actually think like, if you think about character actors and character actresses, everybody wants to be like, oh my gosh, this is just one example that's coming to my brain. Jane Howdy Shell. Oh my gosh, Coleman Domingo. (gasps) Theater actors. I'm Mm -hmm. like in- that were ignored in theater <laughs> i'm like oh mm-hmm. hold on like no no you, you, you know theater likes to claim character actors that get emmys and oscars or whatever mm-hmm. and then i just want to be like no you guys ignored them stephanie Shu, holy shit stephanie fucking shoe just got an oscar nomination because what the, the theater dropped the ball man like that's how <laughs> i feel about it frankly and I I don't think we get we as theater I'm just saying we I don't think we as theater as a whole get to take any credit. I think we need to just really clean up our act. It's like it's it's uh it gets me riled up and and I I but I I just appreciate you guys so much for the work you guys are doing. It's it's seen and and it's inspiring so many of us up here and really everywhere. Um but yeah, it matters that we just it, Yeah, it's, it's something that theater folks, I think we think we, I think we tend to think we were past it, or like that we, or that we can take credit for like the, the slew of character actors that have become well known. And that's just not true, (laughs) in my opinion.
1: Well, and I think that often, theater takes credit for having difficult conversations that we're willing to that we're willing to have conversations about hard things Mm -hmm. but we're not yet willing to consider who is on stage inspiring those conversations who is writing these stories inspiring these conversations like who are the people embodying these roles and creating these stories and who who Are the communities of artists putting them in front of an audience? Mm -hmm. And how does that impact the conversation? We could have better conversations if we were simply willing to have the best people on stage in any given role, regardless of who they were.
3: Yes. (laughs) Big time. Yes. Yes. I love that.
1: Um, Yeah. Mackenzie is actually not in London today. She is in Florida. So she is only one hour away from us in terms of time zone, not distance. <laughs> um, but Mackenzie, you've been spending a lot of time in London this past year, and will you know, spend some more time there. Um, and while she's there, as any good theater person would do, she's been seeing lots of theater. And um, mm-hmm. How does this conversation compare? Because obviously Hallie and Brashina and I are largely talking about kind of regional theater and New York theater and local mm-hmm. theater kind of from a more American perspective. Does London theater have these the same issues or is it still there but to a lesser extent? I would just love to hear your experience as someone with a critical eye watching lots of theater in London and what that's been like
0: yeah um so the issue is absolutely there um and we talk about this on another episode i don't know the order that these are getting released but we had some special guests
1: from the uk it will actually have been last week's episode this will release the week after that
0: oh brilliant okay yeah so they talk about pantomime and like pantomime culture which is a very specific form of theater very specific to the uk um which absolutely stands by very very outdated casting traditions and so that is a very well loved popular art form that unfortunately has not i mean i haven't i say this i've been there for like less than a year but like it hasn't changed and i don't i don't i unfortunately don't see that art form evolving much because i think it it is what it is and i think it is slightly becoming less popular i just people over there are very stingy about their traditions and it takes a long, long time for their traditions to change. That being said, there is so much theater over there that is not considered West End, but is high and like off West End or just professional theater. And I have seen some of the most incredibly diverse and wonderfully accepting and just brilliant productions with just casts of, just so many diverse people in every sense of the word. And it is truly, truly wonderful. Um, West End still, I think, reflects a lot of Broadway casting tendencies, like proper West End. However, funding for the arts is a little bit better over there. And so the professional theaters like the Almeida and the Donmar Warehouse and the Globe and the RSC and um, the National are all, um, they're all doing better. They're doing better. Not perfect, but better. It is, I do think it's an uphill battle. And I think people are very hesitant to move away from tradition, which is very unfortunate, I think, um, because I think tradition in this sense is quite damaging and isn't tradition shouldn't be held over well being and
1: And I think you bring us full circle a little bit with some of those comments, because I really think that a lot of this comes back to the fact that people think it's, quote unquote, a risk Mm -hmm. to cast in a diverse Mm -hmm. and inclusive way, which is insane. But frankly, let's pretend for a moment that they're correct in it being a risk. Isn't that the point? (laughs) Like, I first of all, and I will go on record, it is not risky. That is the most absurd thing. People Mm -hmm. don't come to theater to see certain people on stage. They come for a good show. Mm -hmm. And so if the best people to put on this show look like different things, then no one cares. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but let's pretend for a moment that it is risky. I think theater is intended to be risky. The point is to take risks and tell bold stories and challenge what frameworks people might walk in the door with. I'm not so optimistic as to assume that people walking through the door won't expect certain people on stage because they will. They'll walk in with a picture of what they think a show will be. However, I've seen too many times people come to a show with an expectation, have that expectation be subverted, and they're here for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Our guests that McKenzie mentioned, Bullet Point Theater Company, which is doing fantastic work in London, actually told a story about this where an older couple came to a show of theirs, saw a same-sex love story, which is not what they necessarily expected to see, but said, you know, that was really wonderful. If you're willing to challenge people, people are willing to be challenged. Mm -hmm. Theater is a safe space in which to take risks. That's like Mm -hmm. the whole thing. Mm -hmm. If only people could see how wildly I'm gesturing with my hands right now. It
3: is very wild. You're you're absolutely right. And what kills me is I'm like, seeing someone who looks like a normal person is risky. Like
1: hello. Like
3: that's the risk you're going for? Mm Mm-hmm that's the risk you're afraid of taking we we murder people all the time on stage like there's so many more really exciting i guess is a word but like that we should actually be concerning our time and mental energy with talking about risk taking there are i mean you know i mean it, <laughs> i i i would love to have conversations about is it should we see certain things on certain and and i guess what i'm trying to say is like should we see intimacy in the same way on stage that we've always seen Mm -hmm. should we see you know um god i mean the amount of plays and this is not to judge any any person but like the amount of plays i've seen with like real intense age gaps in the two romantic leads like maybe that's something we should have more of a conversation on than like if someone's someone's not a size zero or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's so weird. It it's so weird to me that especially kind of going back to uh, Trent, I believe you said it, like the point of like theater loves to have hard conversations. We like to talk about that. We have the hard conversations. We do plays about school shootings. We do plays about murder, you know, uh, back to Shakespeare in London and, you know, in the grand tradition of theater. The subject matter we talk about is really, really, really crazy. Like mm-hmm. crazy. And I'm, this is not a, sh- this, well, whatever, maybe this is a shade, maybe it's not, depending on your point of view. But like, I just want to point out that The Whale was a play first. It was not, <laughs> this was a play that came out 10 years ago, like, and has had many regional productions. Like, I think it's hysterical that theater folks are like, th- that it's like, that's not the conversation of, of like, what what is what is acceptable on stage, what's not that's that is a play that has been produced it's been produced you know sky skylight which is a play i love um has a very intense age gap and could be seen as a grooming love story that has been produced and we like it and i still like it because i think it's an interesting i think it's an interesting piece um there's a piece called blackbird oh my god one of the most intense on the page reads i felt like sick to my stomach after reading it because it manipulates you Mm -hmm. it and it's supposed to. I want to be clear. Like the 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 author knew well, right and wrong, and the play knows right and wrong. But it freaking it it rides the line. That is, <laughs> I want to have those conversations <laughs> as opposed to like mm-hmm. the whatever this is. This is mm-hmm. just silly. To well, your sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I was, I was thinking about like what Mackenzie was saying about this idea of tradition, and that we we have our idea of what traditional casting looks like. And that's what we adhere to. That's our default whenever we go into different places. That's why I think the training that we receive is so, so important because if it is coming in a classroom, then we need to like have people in that classroom who are saying that like, yes, this is maybe the way that it was done, but that's not the way it always has to be done. And there's room to change things. There's room to do different things. There's room to make different interpretations that still work with the text or change the text if that's what you're trying to do. But we don't often get that in our training. And I think that's, you know, however you learn how to be in this industry it's going to fall back a little bit on those sort of toxic traditions. And so like, I think what we're having to work really hard on is making sure that those don't affect the next generation of artists. And so like our generation is very much like, yes, these exist, but they are not the end all be all. And (laughs) we're working really hard on like making that our statement for the next generation. So that way they don't have to like default to the things that we were supposed to default to, if that makes sense.
3: Absolutely. I want to tell every young actor right now, just like you are, you are, don't change who you are. (laughs) Don't, don't feel like you got to do anything. There's no secret sauce. The secret sauce is you show up and being, and you guys all get this because you've all been behind the table. Um, it is us, not you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I just want to be like, it's me, not you. I, 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 I hate the conversation, but also I have to remember, you know, going back to dipping into actor brain. I want to hear it's, it's not me. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to hear you say, Hey, you did great. You did. You, you came in, you kicked butt and now, and literally you just weren't right. It sucks, but boy, does it not suck as much as like tiptoeing around? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, maybe we could have done something like that. That'll drive. Yeah. Th- that used to, that used to give me like big spiral panic was like, what did I do? What should I, did I wear the wrong thing? Literally? Also, if you're a casting person and you're like, Oh, if only they wore something different, like go, 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 and fix your brain. <laughs> Cause that is, that drives me insane oh you didn't look exactly like the headshot like no that's not that's not real life it what's real life is it's us not you and god bless a ton of the casting direct big time casting directors that i've been lucky enough to 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 meet in person in new york they are the most down-to-earth people when it comes to that for the most part like most of the ones and and if they're not you can tell they're not a good casting director to be real if they make it like oh you did something like then you can tell they're bad at their job the real deal casting directors up here are always saying the same thing it's me not you it's it's my you know it's what I was given to do not you you did fine you did more than fine. like and but it's important also you know that goes back to the whole like we got to upend our traditional thinking but I just think that conversation to the young, the young minds, <laughs> um, the young minds in training who have only been taught, okay, it's all on, it's all on my shoulders. I, you know, a, an audition is a job and I got to nail it. And it's all up to me. It's like, no, it is not. <laughs> it really isn't like be free little birds. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think, I think to wrap this up, This episode is really our call for actors to just recognize that you're fine. You're enough. Enough. You're enough. You are enough. You are fine. Done. Mm -hmm. End of sentence. You should walk into an audition as prepared as you can be, but the rest of it is frankly so far out of your control that you're done. Mm -hmm. When you finish that audition, whatever else happens is not about you anymore. But then also to our casting directors and directors and producers, let's rethink how we put stories on stage and who gets to embody these roles. And I just, I want to see more productions of known stories. I want to see more stories where Brashina gets to be Mimi. I want to see more stories where Mackenzie gets to be the witch. I want to see more people producing New work, like what Hallie has done in New York, where it's new stories being told without so much regard for who's embodying them. And frankly, even taking it a step further and saying, this is a new work. I can find the best people for this story and then work the story to suit these people, which is entirely backwards from how we tend to do things and not in a bad way like that is such a more organic approach to art making because it takes the human element into account so let's do better (laughs) let's simply do better Hallie I want people to know where they can find you if they want to know more about you or your work so can you let them know where to look you up
3: you guys are the best um I am only on Instagram no joke so just come on literally it's just howls uh, with a little uh underscore at the end because someone already had that and I didn't want to change it uh, <laughs> but hey Brashina, uh also let me know when uh, when you want to produce that uh romantic lead story uh because I'm in um you go. no you guys are you guys are doing the better that you talk about so just you guys are the best truly thank you. it's exciting to watch
1: we so appreciate you coming on in fact we may have to have you on again at some point this has been a riveting (gasps) conversation um and we we appreciate you saying that we're doing the better that we talk about we really really try and if you want to know more about the better that um Hallie claims that we are doing Mackenzie tell us where they can find it yeah, you
0: can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod Theater with an R E or at Wild Imaginings Waco or at wildimaginingswaco.com or through our wonderful producers, Rogue Media Networks.
1: She is so good at that spiel. Mm-hmm. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of Imagine This.
2: Thank you so much for joining us.